Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul, Jamal Forrest. You know where to find me. I am on Twitter, at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. On the show today, you know what time it is. It is a game preview episode on this Good Friday. The Philadelphia Eagles, the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles are on their way to FedEx Field to take on Carson Wentz and the Washington Commanders. This is a big game for Carson Wentz. Now, not as big as people would like to imagine, right? Not, Not that he has to get this win from a mentality standpoint. I think that'll come when Washington faces off the Philadelphia Eagles at the link. But... This is his first his first appearance against the Philadelphia Eagles since leaving the team, and that's the big way in which it matters for, for Carson Wentz's. Uh, how does he feel when he faces off against his old team? Does it mentally change him? Does it shock him? Does it make him think about some things? Does it motivate him in a way where it's like, hey, I got to whoop y'all ass two, ga- two games this year. I got to destroy y'all. What does it mean for Carson Wentz? So in that way, I think it's a big game for him. But ultimately, in terms of the outcome, I don't think that matters uh, that he loses or beats Philadelphia in week three. I think that matters for him when he goes to the link later this season. So on this show today, like I said, we are previewing the Washington matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. We have Brandon Lee Gowden and Mark Bullock uh, that is going to help us do it. Brandon covers the Philadelphia Eagles for SB Nation's Bleeding Green. And he's also a part of their podcast uh, network, Bleeding Green Nation Radio. We'll talk to him and get the needs and O's on Philly as we head into this Sunday. And after Brandon, we'll chop it up with Mark. Uh, you know, he does a good job. If you all know me and you all listen to this podcast, uh, at least weekly, um, you, you've had you've heard Mark on the show before. But also throughout, throughout Twitter, YouTube, Trapper Dive. Um, you know, Mark does a really good job breaking down film, and we we like to talk it and chop it up in that way. So we'll talk with Mark, get our three keys to a Washington win, and uh, you know, it was a really good conversation because there is ways in which this team can be better, right? We already know the defenses, uh, you know, they have their issues, but uh, the offense can be even better than what they're doing right now. Um, the defense has to find a way to to change. Like what they're doing right now um, is for me personally, I find it hard that they'll be able to turn the things around and uh, think about that conversation with that we had on Wednesday about how Jack Del Rio should still be around for some time. Right. Ron actually spoke on that this week um, about personnel changes uh, with JB Finley. And we'll actually talk about that in a second. So I'll hold on to my thought, but I think that the defense They'll have to find a way to turn things around. And uh, it, and like I said, my opinion, I don't think it's going to happen. I hate to say it as bluntly, but uh, it's, it's just a situation where, you know, they've made their own bed and uh, Ron Rivera is, is now answering for it in week two, heading into week three, which is kind of crazy. So another thing before we get into things, if you find yourself with some time today, try to get that subscription in if you aren't subscribed to the podcast. Try to get that rating in if you haven't rated the podcast 
Um, and, and if you got a couple time, a couple seconds for a, a review, man, leave that review. Help us out. You know, help the help the potentials know about you know what we're doing over here on the Hawks Haven Network. So let's get into some of the injuries that we need to know of as we head into the game this week. So as far as we know, we're actually recording this on Thursday, Thursday morning ish. So we have one more time for or two more times for an injury report. Uh, but as we know so far, uh, we have a couple DMPs and a couple limiteds and a couple fools. Ashaka Tony, Casey Tuhill, Daniel Wise, both were DNPs on Wednesday with an illness for Tony, concussion for Tuhill, and an ankle injury for Daniel Wise. Uh, Sadiq Charles, Cole Holcomb, Trey Turner, all three limited with Charles a shoulder injury, Holcomb a quad injury, Trey Turner a quad injury. Then we have Jonathan Allen, Cameron Curl, and Wes Weiser all full. Uh, obviously, Allen's nursing that groin. Curl is recovering from the thumb. Now he's been a full participant, so we're actually expecting him to go. And finally have Cam Curl back on that defensive side. Uh, and then Wes Weiser had a hamstring that he's been a full participant of. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how impactful Curl can be for this defense uh, and, and if he'll be able to really lessen the damage that has happened over the, the first two games. Um, you don't really know how impactful one player can be, but if you can get a culmination of guys back, eventually we'll have to see You know what happens when, when uh, Chase Young comes back as well and, and what they can do. But at that point, will it be too late? We don't know. Roster moves. Donovan Jeter signs to the practice squad. Uh, that was the first individual that they signed after Fedarian Mathis got hurt. And when they picked up John Ridgeway, obviously they waved Donovan Jeter after that. So uh, we will see how, to, how they kind of manipulate the interior defensive line and uh, with the injury of Fedarian Mathis moving forward. Uh, well, Jeter actually had some playing time. He had about 18 snaps, I think, against the, the Lions. Uh, so they obviously liked what they saw to keep him around and put him on a practice squad as a reserve member. And then we have Nolan Loffenberg, an offensive lineman. He was placed on the reserve slash practice squad injured list. So there is that. Before we get into the interviews, right, through two games, Washington has given up 29 points per game, which is staggering. <laughs> but they've also allowed 404 yards per game and 6.6 yards per play. J.P. Finley talked with Ron Rivera this past week and you know, they had a conversation, and, and Ron Rivera mentioned that, you know, it's too early to consider personnel changes. I think in the article, you all should go read this on NBC Sports Washington. Uh, check that one out. But in the article, a quote that was mentioned, which I think is kind of worth talking about right now, um, something to monitor, right? Don't, you don't need the, the over-analysis, right? But something has been quoted in for Ron Rivera, and he said, you know, I think that there is a fix to it. First and foremost, it is about making sure everybody is on the same page. And then secondly, if it persists, now you have to look at some personnel changes and we're not there yet. Now, the yet part is what makes this worth talking about. Ron Rivera understands that there is a possibility of making personnel changes, right? But at the end of the day, He's not giving up on his players. He's not giving up on his coaches. When he mentions personnel, that's vague. You don't necessarily know if he's speaking on staff or player, if not staff and player. But ultimately, you know when somebody says, yet yeah, it's on their mind. It is something that is probably on a list of five things. It's probably around four or five. But ultimately, when you ask your question, like I said earlier, do I think that this defense is, fit, is, is can be fixed? And I, I put it bluntly. I, I said, I don't know if it really can. I, I'm in a situation and I'm in a point where I think that this defense for Washington can improve marginally. But the damage and the, the root cause of this thing goes far beyond what they can do in the season to fix something. It goes far beyond the coordinator being able to coach these guys up. It goes far beyond Sam Mills not being able to connect with the defensive line. It goes to the head coach. It goes to this offseason. And it goes to the year in which Ron Rivera and his staff decided to bypass on potential talent in key positions, whether it's linebacker, whether it's even picking up veteran defensive linemen slash edge rushers to help create pressure for the Washington Commanders front front seven. Uh, you chose F.A. Obata. You chose 
um, the, the younger guys that you're familiar with, which is perfectly fine. But if you're banking on these guys, you better hope that they hit. Right. And then the secondary, you knew you had a scouting report on William Jackson before you brought him in. <laughs> so uh, why is it that you brought him in to pair with Kendall Fuller, who are both polar opposites and what they can do best? You're having miscommunication issues, right? It continues to show itself. And that is something where you look at that and, and you're you're trying to figure out, you know, how is it something that's fixed? Again, Ron Rivera, being the optimist that he is, never forget. He told us how optimistic he is and, and why he likes to stay on that side. He thinks that there's a fix to it. That's perfectly fine for you to believe that. And it's perfectly fine for you to, to, to truly believe it and, and mean it and work to fix it. But what are the odds of that being fixed? And I don't know if I'm not going to sit here and say that Ron Rivera can't fix it. Right. I won't give him a zero percent chance of fixing it. But what are the odds? And if you ask me, the odds for Ron Rivera being able to fix what's going on, on the defense side of the football, is something that's been going on for two years. And if you want to count that that first year, think about, you know, when they played good offenses. Like they didn't look too good against the the the, the Baltimore Ravens. They didn't look too good against the uh, the the Los Angeles Rams. And we know what happened when they got into the playoffs and they had to play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There are track records of performance against good offenses. And then obviously we know twenty twenty one. We don't have to rehash that. This year you haven't faced off against the top tier offenses, but you've had your issues. The issues that have made its or resurfaced and showed its face over the last couple of years. So what are the odds, Ron Rivera, of this getting fixed? What are the odds that you don't have to make personnel changes? We're not there yet. And again, remember I said, in terms of personnel, staff-wise, I wouldn't get rid of Jack Del Rio yet. It's not time. You need more time. You need an opportunity to allow him to fix things. And then player-wise, you can shuffle around the players all you want to. You can bench somebody or you can put a different fit and, and see if, if that works for that player, whatever it is. You're going to have to find a way to survive, <laughs> defensively at least, and hope that you can get marginal improvement and, and become like a somewhere between a, a, a 17 and 21st best defense. And that may be survivable for an offense. Who knows? Anyway... We're going to go ahead and get into these interviews. Uh, first up, as I said, is Brandon Lee Gowton. We're going to go ahead and chop it up with Brandon and get some insight on the Philadelphia Eagles. All the needs to know as we head into Philly uh, versus Washington this upcoming Sunday. Joining us right now is Brandon Lee Gowton. Uh, Brandon covers the Eagles for SB Nation's Bleeding Green and bleeding green nation radio i appreciate you joining me today uh brandon and, and i think to start things off it's it's hard to ignore the quarterback position that, that's the biggest part with the philadelphia eagles and understanding um you know the type of year that or, or the pressure that's actually on jalen hurts to really come through for the organization and things like that so philly's gotten off to a great start obviously and, and hurts has looked good in his first two games so what's your opinion on hurts and has he won over the fan base, most of the fan base yet? I mean, he's well on his way after performance like he had on Monday Night Football. Um, you know, after the first game against the Lions, I thought you could uh, say, you know, it's a case of more than one thing can be true. I thought he helped them win that game. They won because of him. But I had questions, and like, I don't think he's going to be able to just run on third down every single time each week, and that's how the Eagles are really going to win ball games. So um, I wanted to see more. And he delivered more on Monday Night Football where he was just, honestly, it was his best game in the NFL. He was sensational when it came to accuracy, poise. He was making high-level throws that I'm not sure I even really saw him attempt before. And it was just incredible to watch. In addition to all that, obviously, he still used his legs at the right times. His 26-yard rushing touchdown on third and two where he gets, like, contacted at the five-yard line or so. And then he's just fighting through contact and diving over the goal, goal line. I mean, he, he was a beast out there and obviously you're seeing him uh boost up in the mvp odds like that was that was an eye-opening performance and uh that that raises the Eagles' ceiling if he's playing that well then they're like a legitimate super bowl kind of contender in a weak nfc yeah and, and when you speak on the the uh, or at least how he looked in terms of overall performance against the the vikings um i think of the additions that you all made in the offseason obviously a lot had to do with defense but the biggest one for me 
is your boy AJ Brown. And um, I'm trying to figure out how impactful has he been for this offense. Obviously, a really good game in his debut against the Detroit Lions. Uh, what about just overall, how has he immersed himself with the Philly offense and how has he and Jalen Hurts been uh, developing their relationship this year? Yeah, I mean, they've really been on the same page since day one. I mean, all during training camp, that's Jalen Hurts' go-to guy. A lot of people covering training camp are like, oh, man, like A.J. Brown's going to have a monster year. That's one thing we do know. So he loves throwing to him. You mentioned week one, 155 yards. Um, maybe some people wondering, <laughs> he's throwing to him a little too much. Uh, and then we didn't see that quite as much in week two. I, I imagine the Vikings were trying to do some things to take him away. And that's fine because Devontae Smith's still really good. Dallas Goddard's still really good. Quez Watkins can contribute with a big play here and there. And Eagles like Zach Pascal when it comes to like a third down or a red zone situation. So um, that's one of the more impressive things about Jalen Hurts' week two performance as well is that he didn't just need to rely on one player and A.J. Brown specifically, but he could spread the ball around and get everyone involved. And uh, that's what makes the Eagles dangerous because if you're going to try to put all that extra attention on A.J. Brown, they do have other weapons that you can throw to. And that's kind of the the next part. Like, I, I really like how they kind of. I mean, obviously, AJ Brown is like the offset behind that is the Devonte and and obviously Dallas and um you missing Quez, uh Washington, and the fan base rightfully so. Uh, they 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 think highly of their receiving group, and I think that is very talented. I think that it's uh the way they perform two games in. Uh, they are a top ten. Uh, unit this year but I would ask you the same question for Philly in, in your opinion on the receiving core and the weapons that you all have where where are you at in terms of how uh, how they stack up across the league yeah well I think you know you look at um, specifically the matchup against Jonathan Gannon's defense and that's been a little leaky um, other than a really good performance against Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football so there's still some concerns there and I think absolutely John Dotson that's a guy we've been talking about um, with our with our mutual friend RJ Ochoa on the NFC East mixtape here uh, on, on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and, and blocking the boys in Hogshaven and the Blue View as well. Um, Jahan Dotson is a guy we thought could be an X factor for Washington. He's come in. He's obviously developed a rapport with Carson Wentz. Um, that's something to monitor. And, and Terry McLaurin is good. <laughs> He's really good. It doesn't really matter who you put on him. He's a guy who kind of like A.J. Brown at some level is going to put up numbers. He's going to produce. So I think, you know, those are two big weapons that are absolutely going to challenge the Eagles, even though you know, Darius Slay just had this great performance, two picks, NFC Defensive Player of the Week. He locked up Justin Jefferson. Um, that's great, and I think that certainly gives you confidence. He can play well again this week, but uh, those guys in Washington are no slouches. For, for what it's worth, uh, I didn't want to cut you off because it was it was it was obviously a good response. But I was actually talking about Philly's receiving oh. core. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I, was, I really, I was really no, no, it's fine because I was I was really interested because I like I like what you all have and I like the the weapons that you all have been able to acquire and just put together from a unit standpoint. So I was mm. I was definitely uh, interested in seeing how you felt about your receiving core uh, and how they stack up across the league because um, Washington. Uh, early on, you, you don't like, for for example, Jacksonville has faced, uh, they have a, a decent receiving core, but they're young. Uh, you have a young quarterback in that situation. Detroit, you have a veteran quarterback, uh, and, and they have a solid uh, unit as well, and they're still missing Jamison Williams, uh, who hasn't come back yet. And now you have Philly for Washington. Uh, they have a solid receiving core. Uh, how how does the, the Philadelphia uh, community, how does the fan base, the people who cover the team, how do they feel about how strong that receiving core is? Because we already know that run game for Philadelphia, from a quarterback standpoint, from all 11, uh, they're really good in the run game. And I think y'all are number one in uh, in terms of rush offense anyway. So I was trying to see where that receiving core stacked up as well to complete that offense. Yeah, absolutely. See, so we're recording this early, so it's my bad. <laughs> so my brain's still asleep up it's here. It's all good, but... <laughs> man. Like I said, two cups of coffee in for me. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, you're ahead of me. You're doing, you're doing uh... better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a dangerous group. It's a group that you know. It, it, it just, it's like it just talk about you know, like some people say you should build your receiving core like you know, like a basketball team, like different skill sets and that complement each other. And again, AJ Brown is a go-to kind of guy. Um, can really do it all. Physical. Um, can win on 50-50 balls, wins with yards after the catch. He's so tough to bring down. He's huge. He's fast. He's strong. Uh, really good hands for the most part. 
Um, Devontae Smith is not that kind of guy, but excellent route runner. He, you know, he averaged something like 11 point whatever yards per catch against the Vikings, but five of his seven catches, and he did catch all seven of his targets, were for first downs. He was just really working in the middle of the field. He's a precision kind of player, excellent route runner. That's obviously what helped him win the Heisman in college. And then Quez Watkins, again, like a speedy guy. He's not going to be a volume target by any means. We can't, he might only get one or two catches a game. But he does have the threat to take the top off a of defense. So um, I think all the skill sets there complement each other nicely. And so far, Jalen Hurts has been able to take advantage of those. That last thing for offense here. Uh, it's the number one offense in yards per game, number four in points per game. Uh, is this sustainable? Do you think that this this unit can finish the year as a top five offense in the NFL? I do think, um, you know, look, they're healthy right now. That certainly helps a lot, knock on wood. Um I think Nick Sirianni, uh, Shane Steichen, head coach, offensive coordinator, doing a good job. And we still need to see Jalen Hurts, you know, string these get games that kind of together, some consistency, stack these performances. I feel encouraged, certainly after Monday night, but there's still a question mark of like, okay, how much can he do this consistently? Because he played at a very high level. Can he sustain that? Um, uh, so we'll definitely have to monitor that. But, I mean, with all the weapons that they have, and then really, like maybe more important than anything, their offensive line. They have a really good offensive yeah. line, and that's obviously going to do them um, well, especially, you know, you look at all these other offensive line situations, just in the NFC, let's just say, like there's, there's injuries, the Bucks are banged up. Like Washington. When you're, yeah, Washington, <laughs> exactly. You just put their taste really A, right, on IR. Um, so, yeah, that's a big deal. What about this Eagles team has surprised you so far? Uh, you can take that whichever way you want to go, good or bad. Uh, what, what what surprised you? I mean, Hurts. I you know I don't think Hurts had a great training camp, not a terrible one, but kind of one that didn't make me think he was going to be kind of night and day different from last year. I think when we talk about Jalen Hurts improving over the course of his career, I think it's been generally generally more subtle. Um, I thought that going into this season, any kind of comparison to Josh Allen was a little ridiculous, quite frankly, because whereas Josh Allen like third year transition type of thing. Yeah, that's that's not that's not like the norm. Like that's the exception. That's not like normal for every player to make yeah. that kind of like huge leap, especially to me for a guy in Josh Allen. Like he didn't play a ton of college football. Like the book on him is that he was he was a you know, great physical tools, but really inexperienced and raw. Jalen Hurts played a lot of college football under some of the best college football coaches ever, or at least in the modern, you know, that we have today. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I thought he was kind of more a little bit closer to a finished product, even though he's on the younger side. Um, but so far, I mean, that kind of performance again on Monday night, that has me questioning that. And I think the ceiling for him is higher. I think one thing that's really impressive about him is that, like, He's a grinder, a uh, great leader. He has all the intangibles off the field. And all that stuff is nice, but it doesn't really matter if you can't throw a football super well. But uh, so far, uh, I've been, it's been very encouraging that um, he's looked kind of like way better than I, I didn't think anyone could have thought just, just based on watching like training camp. So basically what I'm hearing is uh, the fans uh, do not miss Wentz anymore. <laughs> that's, is that is that is that Aaron is probably the this, I don't think any fans uh, or in Philly are saying uh, we we missed the ball or we dropped the ball on moving on from Wentz. No, not at all. And I mean, you know, obviously what happened last year in Indy and the collapse against the Jaguars and everything that all contributed to that. I will say, in Car- to Carson Wentz's defense, that's <laughs> his credit. Yeah. Um, that like you know, just don't win a Super Bowl without him. So it's a kind of a complicated legacy. Um, like I think Eagles fans need to be able to say acknowledge that. It doesn't mean that, that he has to be their favorite player or they still have to love him or they have to get his it doesn't mean any of that because there's obviously bad stuff at the end. So I obviously get why people um have a bad taste in their mouth hundred percent. But again, we can acknowledge that okay, for all the faults and everything, he did help them win the Super Bowl. He did that he had a big part of the heavy lifting to get them that number one seed where Foles could take over and uh, take advantage of that. So I think it's you know, again, it's a case more than one thing can be true. I have a side note question that, that really just popped into my head. Now I figured I'd ask now in week three before I wait again until we play again. Um, what happened from like what is what is the truth with this this Philadelphia and Wentz thing? Not necessarily like the 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 gory details, but did did Wentz won out because of the situation with Hurts or or did he like how did this whole thing go from 2020 starting quarterback? You have a backup that's being developed in Jalen Hurts to ultimately 
we're going to go ahead and move on from Wentz to a trade or like how did how did that happen was it 51 percent Carson Wentz went out or 51 percent Philly mm. or was it more majority one side than the other how did that, how did this happen I uh, really it was a tumultuous time for the Eagles um uh you got me yeah, yeah I'm good I'm oh, sorry my, my my computer screen went dark I guess I didn't touch it in a while um it's fine yeah, my uh, so yeah, so it was a tumultuous time. I mean, the Eagles had just uh, won the NFC East in a very unlikely manner, where they were down and they needed you know to come back, and all these players were hurt. Um, and Carson Wentz was a big reason why they were able to do that. They obviously had that big win against Washington in Washington, where Greg Ward had that game-winning touchdown. And you're you're like, all right, Carson Wentz for all the struggles he had had post Super Bowl, post ACL injury, he's the guy. He proved it. He raced all kind of doubt. And, you know, there was some some of an awkward finish there. He gets hurt against the uh, Seahawks in the playoffs, gets hit by Davion Clowney in the back of the head. Then they draft Deion Hurts, and it's like, well, what the heck? Like we, we thought, like, Carson Wentz had finally, like, exercised his demons, and we know everything he went through with Nick Foles. Like, why would you introduce that element if you're the Eagles? So um, a lot of chaos in that regard. But I think, again, going back to what I said about more than one thing can be true, I think the Eagles didn't necessarily do everything they could to ensure Carson Wentz's success, but neither did Carson Wentz in a lot of ways because I think he wasn't taking to hard coaching. It was a, a consistent piece of criticism that I think that was apparent because in, in, like we saw the results. This is a guy with, I think he's up to like 67 fumbles in, or 57, I, forget the, I think it's 67, in 87 games now. Like, it's just not going away. Like he's not getting better at certain things. You just saw the same mistakes. You didn't see that growth. You kind of saw him max out. So I think that obviously speaks to the lack of like taking coaching and really improving and just being a stubborn player. And honestly, a big issue with him. And, and one thing I was wondering why, okay, maybe he can succeed in Washington where he wouldn't be able to in Philly and Indy is that those organizations were kind of like building around him and making him, like not holding him accountable and it's it's Carson Wentz's show and my thought was like okay if somehow Carson Wentz is going to have success in Washington it's going to be that he's not coming into an organization where like oh Carson you can do no wrong because he's coming off two stops where things didn't work out and he might need to check himself might need to humble himself a little bit more and realize that he's been part of the problem and and I so I think um he was a little bit delusional to act like uh in philly like oh i'm not the problem here everyone else is the problem i mean he even said that he started to think that uh his time in philly might be over when or, or like not even might be over but like he wanted out um when jalen hurts replaced him in the packers game that year and the way that carson Wentz said that it seemed like he just didn't really have any kind of like self-awareness it was like why did i get benched it was like dude you were like the worst quarterback in the league that year uh he didn't think he didn't see the energy he gave off was like he didn't seem to understand why he got benched um so uh, a lot of stuff went down there i think ultimately again there's, there's blame on both sides but uh, i don't think carson wentz took the accountability that he needed to and, and his standing in the locker room certainly wasn't good by the end sirianni um is he a guy that you think is capable of leading philly to a deep run like if this is year two uh i think the all season did him wonders in terms of how he and obviously the front office was able to address uh, a situation where uh philly just essentially took advantage of that schedule the, the back end of their schedule that they had last year rightfully so you don't apologize for victories um, but you all continue to add on throughout the all season you all were able to acquire top tier talent uh from a draft perspective and obviously free agency as well and even late season additions with um, uh, the safety Mark, uh, from New Orleans, Gardner Johnson. Uh, wh what do you think about Sirianni? Is he a guy that's capable of leading Philly to a deep playoff run? That's a good question. Um, I think maybe I'm crazy. I feel like head coach matters less here than anywhere, or at least in a lot of different situations, because like Nick Sirianni absolutely is responsible for well, a number of things, but like the culture of this team. And I think he does a good job with that, uh, managing the vibes, if you will. But like he's not their play caller. So he's not calling the plays. He's contributing to the play calling process, obviously. Uh, Sirianni and Shane Steichen, you know, they go through, they work together uh, leading up to the game and they kind of, you know, pick out certain plays that are going to be on the sheet, on the menu, so to speak. Um, so he contributes in that regard. Um, but like, you know, again, he's, 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 and he's obviously making big picture decisions as well in terms of 
or like t- managing the game timeouts, all that kind of stuff, going for it and fourth down. Um, but really, uh, I, the way I've kind of felt about Sirianni since he's been hired is like kind of been neutral on him, like a centrist, if you will. I don't think uh, I, I was discouraged, obviously, early on last year when things got off to a slow start. Um, but since then, you know, I think everything's have been good. I don't think he kind of, I don't think he's special so far from what I've seen, at least in terms of, again, like managing a game going. I like that he goes for it on fourth down. I think he could do that even more. Um, Doug Peterson was obviously really good at that mm-hmm. as well in Philly. Um, so I don't know that he like gives them a special edge anywhere other than maybe it is the culture and keeping the team in good spirits because I think, again, he has done that. So it's interesting evaluating him because it just it feels like even from a Philly perspective, like we're not all just like, man, Sirianni, like he, you know, the, the pressure is on him. It's like entering this season, everyone's like the pressure is on Jalen Hurts. The pressure is on Jonathan Gannon. Um, so it, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation where the coach might not be as important here than, or at least viewed that way as it is elsewhere. The Eagles defense, man, uh, I, I, I was, I was thinking, all right, well, let me just ask it because I was, I was thinking very highly of this defense and, and kind of still do the Eagles allowed 35 to the Lions, uh, but bounced back on Monday night, just allowing seven points, obviously forced a few turnovers on Kirk Cousins. Uh, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses of this defense? Because that's a, a very vast dichot- or difference between 35 and seven. So uh, where are you at with that defense? What are the strengths and weaknesses in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully expected them to get roasted by Kirk Cousins, and I'm no Kirk Cousins guy, to be clear. Uh, haven't been since Washington, but I say, yeah, you have about six years of experience with him. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But, um, you know, I, I think Jonathan Gannon, to his credit, in week two, didn't just sit back because that's been a kind of a big fault of the Eagles defense against like competent quarterbacks, too. Not it's talking about guys who are like decent for the most part. Um, so like not like Garrett Gilbert last year when Washington had to start him on a Tuesday night or uh, Jake Fromm or, you know, they played some yeah. terrible quarterbacks last year and the defense unsurprisingly looked better against those guys. So any kind of game against like a real kind of quarterback, um, you know, you look at Tom Brady last year and obviously, you know, that's, that's, it's not fair just to judge against him, but it's like Brady, Derek Carr. I mean, they allowed like Derek Carr to complete over 90% of his passes last year. It's <laughs> like crazy kind of things. And uh, it, it was just too passive of a defense. So um, in week one this year, obviously, as you mentioned, they got just like worked by the Lions in a lot of ways. And that was concerning because you know, they added all this defensive talent. And it made me think, okay, are we being suckered into thinking this defense is going to be good and that Gannon is going to get the most out of it when last year, he didn't really get the most out of the talent he had to work with then. Not to say they should have been like the 1985 Bears or anything, yep. but they finished 25th in DVOA. And that's just one metric. But like, I think it kind of speaks to the defense wasn't good. And I, I don't think Gannon got the most out of his players. And that's what you want your defensive coordinator to do. So um, obviously week two is a step in the right direction in a big way. It doesn't mean that me or I believe any Eagles fans just have unequivocal faith now that Jonathan Gannon has solved everything. But I do think him being more aggressive like he was against Kirk Cousins was a good sign. So um, there's too much talent on that side of the ball for this defense not to be like a top eight kind of unit. Like If they finish, let's say, 16th in, in defensive rankings, that's not good enough. Like This should not be just an average defense. This should be a legitimately good defense. So there's still a lot of pressure on Gannon to produce those kind of results. What are the keys for Philly against Washington? And who do you have winning the ball game? So, shocker, I'm going to take the Eagles. Um, <laughs> I, I, the spread is a little – I was just about to say, to yeah, cover. That's, that's a big like – six and a half. That's a big line. On the road. Yeah, and on the <laughs> that's road. disrespectful. <laughs> it, it is disrespectful. I know a lot of Eagles fans, I'm sure, are going to go down to FedEx Field. But, yeah. like, that's, that's a big – it's a division game. You know, like, that's the thing. It's a division – a big division game in the sense that if Washington pulls this off – they're feeling pretty good all of a sudden, and they have just as right of a claim for that top spot in the NFC East. So uh, the, the spread is a little bit curious there to me. I just think that's too big, although maybe that's trying to tell us something. Um, but I think where it comes down to me is that I know Carson Wentz. I've seen him play before. He's going to turn the ball over. He, he absolutely is. For all the good things that he does, and he's done some good things, make no mistake, from from as far as I can tell from afar early on the season, I mean, the mistakes should be the difference in a game. Look no further than his fumble last week uh, against the Lions in the end zone. That's a safety. The Lions score a touchdown on the ensuing uh, free kick that they get. 
and that's nine points. And guess how many points the Commanders lost by last week? Nine points. 67 fumbles in 87 games. It's just not an issue that's going to go away. Like I can, like you can set your watch to him fumbling. It's just a matter of like, does it happen in a key spot? Can they recover it? Can they survive that? And it's just, it's a tough battle when you have to grind it out and kind of uh, like live with those mistakes like that. Whereas Jalen Hurts, to his credit, doesn't really turn the ball over. Knock on wood. I'm, I'm, maybe I just jinxed him. But uh, but yeah, I, I just have more faith right did. now in uh, in him than Wentz. <laughs> Copy that. Um, Brandon, I appreciate you joining me this morning, this early morning uh, interview. Uh, this is this is nothing to us or nothing to me, I, I guess, uh, morning person being over here. But definitely appreciate you joining me. Let the people know where they can find you, read from you, hear from you, all that good stuff. Whatever things you got going on, let the people know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you for working with my schedule here. Um, uh, a pleasure to be on. We'll get you back on the mixtape. I, I appreciate you because you filled in uh, when I was away in Miami watching the Eagles in uh, you know, joint training camp practices. You yeah. stepped up with RJ, and that was a great episode to get some more commander's perspective. Uh, but you can check out my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Obviously, the Bleeding Green Nation podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Gowden. Appreciate Brandon for coming through and giving us the need to knows on the Philadelphia Eagles as we gear up for that week three matchup. Up next, we do have the Washington perspective. The good man Mark Bullock is coming through to check in and give us our, our three keys. We'll break it down together on Washington win against the Philadelphia Eagles. But before we get into that, you know what time it is. It's the best bet brought to you by Anti-Up Consulting. Let's get into it. And after that, you hear from Mark Bullock and myself. This Commander's Game Preview episode is brought to you by the good men over at Anti-Up Consulting, the leading sports consulting firm that will undoubtedly make you a sharper, better, increase your win percentage, and accumulate long-term money. That last part is something that we all struggle to deal with from time to time. You need to tap in with the boys, P, and over there at Anti-Up Consulting to really understand how to manage it better, recognize your unit size, and make smarter bets altogether. Join their Daily Wager Discord channel for free now. Check the link in the bio. It is right there. I'm in it. I've been in it for some time. I love it in there, man. I get the picks. Uh, I understand, you know, what they're thinking, what they're leaning throughout the week before the plays are made. Sometimes you get some of the last second ones. If you're definitely unsure about a decision or have some questions, they're there for you. And hit up P to inquire about their one-on-one services to help you win weekly, manage your betting units, and learn the ins and outs of sports handicapping. Speaking of P, let's hear about his best bet for this week. This week's taking the Atlanta Falcons pick them at Seattle Seahawks um 0-2 teams versus non-0-2 teams since 2012 60% against the spread uh this Atlanta team has covered both games so far this year desperations on their side um Atlanta ranks ninth in the league team pass block win rate um while Seattle's 20th uh respectfully and also uh Atlanta ranks top uh half of the league in team run stop win rate I think they're going to force uh, Geno to kind of hold on to the ball with A.J. Terrell locking down one half of the field. They haven't played a mobile quarterback yet um, with, you know, the Russell Wilson doesn't run anymore. Trey Lance goes out early uh, in the first half last week. So this will kind of be a different flavor for the Seattle uh, defense. Seattle offense hasn't looked good since the first half of week one. Um, So I'm going to factor in all of those things and take Atlanta plus the points since they've also – been in Seattle or on the West Coast in Washington practicing the whole week. Um, that gives us an advantage not having to fly across the country again. Joining us right now is the good man, Mark Bullock. Uh, Mark, I do appreciate you joining me today. Uh, this Before we get into our three keys, one big question I, I, I'll have to ask. Uh, concerned or I asked this question on Chopper Dive as well, but concerned or, or unbothered about the, the one-in-one start or how they got to one and one uh, this this early on in the season. What's your take on uh, the Commanders team? Yeah, I, I, I'm not concerned that they're at one and one. Um, I think that's obviously a record that you can bounce back from, um, and, and ideally they'd be two and zero and and have beaten teams that you would hope they would beat with the Jags and the Lions. But I, I'm not concerned at that. The as you say, the concerning part is the way that they lost against the Lions and and the way that the defense in general has played so far this season, that is the concerning part. So I'm more concerned at the performance, particularly of the defense, than I am of the overall record. Yeah, um, I'm in the same boat. The overall record, you know, I'm I'm not uh, concerned really 
Uh, I'm also really not unbothered. Um, I, I guess there's a middle ground for me. Um, and if, for basically for what you're saying, uh, my concern really is is how sustainable can this or how much games can Washington really win if the defense can't sustain some level of uh, consistency or well, they are consistently not good, but uh, more so <laughs> on the better side of consistency, are they able to, to overcome some of their issues um, and, and, and actually help out this offense? Uh, but even still, like the, the laps that Detroit or Washington had against the Detroit Lions was was alarming, too. Um, obviously, there was explosive plays in the second half. There was also potential for explosives in the first half that were just not working out well for Washington. So it's like, are we going to see these things throughout the season, like on both sides of the football? Because if if that happens, um, like I said, I'm not bothered. I mean, I'm not uh, unbothered, but I'm also not concerned. But this, these are things where it's like I'm taking these notes. And I'm like, I, I pray to God this isn't a trend throughout this season. I, I Well, I, I think that's kind of what we have to expect with Carson Wentz at quarterback is there's going to be some ups and downs on offense and, that, and there's going to be the, the kind of Carson Wentz roller coaster, as everyone calls it. You're going to have the explosive plays and you're going to have the missed plays and the turnovers. So uh, I think you kind of have to strap in and be ready for that on offense. Um, I, I think on defense, it's um, there hasn't been too many ups yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm, more, I'm more concerned about that. Um, I, I think the offense... What we saw from the second half of this uh, against the Lions was the offense has enough explosive potential with with those playmakers that they can keep themselves in any game and they can come back into any game if Wentz plays well enough. Um, so I think that is an encouraging thing um, that you, you shouldn't be worried about. I, I think you, they've shown that they can overcome Wentz's turnovers and, and bad plays because they can create enough explosives. I think it's just can the defense do enough to... Um, to not let them get blown out before the offense gets going. <laughs> yeah, let's not try to get down three scores before <laughs> before we, we turn around and get our first point on the game, uh, point on the board. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely in agreement with that one, uh, Mark. So let's go ahead and get into our three keys to a Washington win. Uh, you are the guest. You are the special guest this week. I want to get you and your first stab. What is your first key to a Washington win against the Philadelphia Eagles? So that Eagles offense is very high-powered based off of a run game, um, and, and it all starts around that run game. And, and I think that offensive line is fantastic as, as run blockers, and, and they can beat you with zone, they can beat you with gap scheme, they can do a lot of different things. Um, and, and then you add in Jalen Hurts' ability as a runner, and, and I think that puts an extra edge on top of things. And, and and then that obviously opens up play action and, and they have the RPOs off of those kind of looks. And that gives them a whole lot of different things to build from for, with their offense without Hertz having to be tested as a drop back passer. So if the Eagles are able to run the ball effectively and we've seen Washington's run defense struggle um, so far this year, if the Eagles run um, run game gets going, then it could be over pretty quickly. So I, I think the number one key for me is being able to fill the box with run defenders. And, and that means, you know, Washington likes to play out of two deep safety looks. They like to show quarters coverage looks. Um, and we saw some of that last week against the Lions, where even against two or three tight end sets, they were still showing two deep safeties. And, and actually that DeAndre Swift run, they had two deep safeties against, I think it was a three tight tight end set. So yeah, I think they have to commit to defending the run and, and get out of that too deep safety look and, and, and be willing to put one in the box and, and load the box and uh, and ensure that they have gap integrity, especially with the threat of Jalen Hurts carrying the ball as well. So for me, the, the number one key for, for Washington um, to win this game is to be able to defend the run and, and commit to defending the run. And, and, and that means getting a safety out of the uh, the deep part of the field and in the box. Yeah, uh, I think that's a it's a very good point and 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 maybe something to do with how Detroit was able to take advantage. Of, I mean, you, you spoke on it how Detroit was able to take advantage and some of the issues that we saw too. Percy Butler um, is is I, I think of him as like that post safety, uh, not necessarily one who can really at least right now right who can really play in the boxing and obviously in this buffalo nickel look early on that big that big 50 yard run you see percy butler get sealed off by a lineman and 
I don't expect him, Percy Butler, to, to really defeat a lineman uh, like that, especially as a rookie, uh, but also just understanding uh, certain angles and, and how to take on a blocker like that. I don't expect him to do that, but to your point, uh, that role that Percy Butler played, I think it'll be good that Washington, uh, we can assume at this point, because he's, he's cleared to play, that Washington will have that guy, Cam Curl, back uh, essentially filling that role for Washington. And um, to your point, beyond that, with the two high looks, if you have Cam Curl in that situation, uh, I think what really hurt Washington sometimes is the angles that the, the safeties and, and cornerbacks kind of took in run support as well. Uh, so it's an all-out effort, clearly, but that second and third level run support um, is definitely going to be critical. Uh, and, and also how, they be, uh, how they're able to play off those play-action looks that, that Philly will eventually get into um, in terms of the linebackers because these guys, Cole Holcomb and, and Jamie Davis, uh, I'm not – I would really mainly say Cole Holcomb, on my opinion, at least from from last week and how Detroit was able to take advantage. Uh, these guys are they have to uh, have. I think the strongest words I wanted to say instincts, but but obviously just play recognition, being quicker to to reading your keys and understanding things like that. So that second and third level, to your point, is going to be uh, very critical against the, the Philly and, and how they defend against the run. Yeah, for sure. And and as you mentioned, that the, the the whole offense is built around being able to develop off of that run game. And, and that when they can open up into the play action game, they can use the read option stuff. They can use the RPOs when they can build off of that. Jalen hurts can be comfortable because that's what he did at Alabama. Um, and, and everyone's question about Jalen hurts is, can he be a pocket passer? Can he be a true pocket passer in this offense? When it gets going, he doesn't really have to be because they do so much of that run game stuff, the read option stuff. And it, because you're so focused on, is it a run? Is it a pass? And, and trying to stop the run hurts can flick the ball out on an RPO and, and you're beat for five, six yards and, and it, it's the chains have been moved. So it, he never really gets into those huge drop back situations. Um, and so if you're not committing to stopping the run, you're letting them build into their normal offense, then, you're not going to have to, you're not going to get to challenge Hurts the way that I think they need to, to, to be able to be effective in this game. And speaking of Hurts, um, an extension of that, my number one for me would be third down, uh, actually on both sides of the football, really, but mainly third down offense, I'm excuse me, defense. Um, the, the Philadelphia Eagles is number two in the NFL right now on third down conversions. Uh, a lot to do with the the ability of Jalen Hurts as we said like his his ability to extend plays with his legs uh creates the, the ultimate advantage for the Philadelphia Eagles but then just from an overall perspective when you're uh 56.7% on third down uh offensively you're going to create uh you're going to create opportunities for your offense especially in in the red zone and obviously uh, just extending drives and keeping a defense on the field the third down offense for Washington um, when you're facing the Philadelphia Eagles, these guys are bottom half in the league in third downs. And for as good as they played against the Vikings, um, these from points wise, uh, you have opportunities against the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles on third. Down. So if you're trying to give your defense a break, a defense who's struggling uh, throughout this season to this point, uh, third down defense and third down offense for Washington is going to be important. And, and obviously when it comes to uh, the the big money down is, is preventing turnovers for your offense and obviously uh, creating turnovers for your defense is, is really important because you're talking about a, a team who really isn't and even goes back to last year. I've been saying this for a long time, Mark. If you're going uh, seven games in a season without forcing a turnover, you can get your turnovers in bunches in 2021. That is what it is. But if you're going seven games in a season without forcing a turnover, that's problematic because there's seven games in a season where you're not creating extra opportunities for your offense. Um, so again, against a team like Philly, who is high powered, a top five offense uh, already uh, really good in rushing, rushing the football, but obviously like, they've gotten better in the past game too. Statistically, you got to find a way to create extra opportunities for your, for your offense. So it really comes down to third down defense and offense for me and obviously, obviously forcing turnovers. It's kind of a mess, like a hand in hand type of thing for my number one key. Yeah, and I think obviously third downs is always a, a a big key every week, but especially against a team like the Eagles, if if 
you kind of mesh our two points together. If you're able to stop the the run effectively on first and second down, you can get them into one dimensional looks on third down, and that's when you've got to you can test Jalen Hurts. And and last week the the Vikings got Jalen Hurts into those third and long situations a few times, and, and he did a really good job either finding a receiver or being able to scramble, and 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 that gives you some tough challenges as a as a defense because. You, sometimes you want to play man coverage and, and try to match up against certain guys. But if you play man coverage against a guy like Jalen Hurts, then all your DBs are turning your backs to him and, and they can't see him when he starts scrambling and running in. And, and there's big open spaces in the middle of the field for him to run into. Um, and, and then the, the third and seven turns into a 25 yard pickup if he escapes out the middle of the pocket. So um, yeah, I, I think being able to, contain hurts and and show some good discipline on, on contain rushes um is going to be key for for that third down defense and as you say third down offense they, they need to they really struggled last week against the lions moving the chains and, and getting themselves going and and they relied on explosive plays in the second half to spark themselves but the explosive plays aren't always going to be there and you do need to be able to be pick up the uh, the the short yard situations and, and and move the chains and keep drives alive to give yourself a chance to get into the explosive plays so um being able to to pick up those those third down conversions and, and keep drives going and and especially against this this team that the eagles that run the ball so often you, you need to give your defense a, a breather um especially with the the injuries that they've had on the defensive line with, with jonathan allen and um, Daniel Wise and, and all these guys that their their depth is being tested right now and and if if you're going three and out constantly and, and that run game is getting going then that that's going to be real tough on on the defensive line. Yeah, and, and to your point, to the the offensive side of football, like Philly, so Philly isn't like a heavy blitzing team. However, like majority of their blitzes typically come on third down, and that's kind of the alarming thing for me is. Uh, when you when you man up and send your blitzes on third down, um, Washington had exposure, a lot of exposure against Detroit all throughout the game in terms of how they're able to send their blitzes and things like that. And I think this is a second opportunity for for Washington and Scott Turner to to understand what they're up against, but understand that you have a receiving core who is some who has some of the the best ability to separate in the league like take advantage of that trust your guys against some of Philly guys I understand that they have a bolstered secondary but if if you understand that you have that man matchup um and you have a situation where you you want to get the ball into Terry or Jahan or Curtis's hands quick don't worry about those long developing plays I mean obviously it's, it's important from time to time right and the setup is important from time to time but understand that you have guys who who know how to win and allow them the opportunity to win at or near the line of scrimmage. So um, that's 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 something very important for Washington. Uh, Scott Turner has a second chance. Uh, you don't have to wait until the second half until you're down uh, to to really take advantage of those weapons and force the Detroit uh, Lions to 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 adjust or or stop you uh, in open space. But uh, that that third down in terms of the coverages that you'll face is gonna is gonna provide a lot of opportunity for Washington. Number two, what is your number two uh, key for Washington against the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, so I, I think what we saw with the offense struggling uh, against the Lions in the first half, there, there were some protection issues up front and, and the offensive line, how well they've played over the last few years with, with Matsko and, and all the injuries that they've had. And Matsko has been able to coach up the, the backups and, and, and still become, you know, pretty productive. Uh, they did struggle in that first half and, and, and they had some uncharacteristic plays and, you know, Charles Leno getting beat on the edge, giving up a safety is, is uncharacteristic for him. And uh, especially after how well he played in the first week. So uh, I think that didn't help the offense, the, the offense get going and, and Carson Wentz um, can be a little, can have some issues against some, some pressures um, and his ability to navigate the pocket can, can sometimes be good, but sometimes struggle. Um, so for me, as you mentioned, the, on third down, the Eagles do like to send some blitzes. Um, I, I think last week against the Vikings, they 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 used something something like six cover zero blitzes, um, mm. and I think on all six of them, they were they were all third downs, and, and all six of them, Kirk Cousins went over six or something like that. Mm. So 
that I, I think being able to p- pick up those protections that the way they didn't in the first half and they did, they did in the second, I, I think protecting Carson Wentz would, would be the second key for me because the, the Eagles, A, their defensive front is always going to provide pressure anyway because they've got some good bodies up front. But B, when, when they do get to their third down blitz packages, being able to pick up those blitzes and, and giving Wentz some time to find his guys, um, especially, you know, as you mentioned, you, you want to get the ball out quickly and, and, and win your, your man matchups. But if, if like, say, Jahan Dotson's getting bumped at the line and, and, and he's had a few struggles getting off against press, um, if the Eagles are, are playing some cover zero or cover one um, and, and pressing up at the line or, or doubling Terry McLaurin, like, you might have to hold on to the ball for a little bit longer. And if you're in, you know, a third and long situation, you're going to have to wait for plays to develop. So being able to protect Carson Wentz and, and give him a chance to find his receivers down the field, I think that is the second key for me. My second, uh, in addition, it's crazy how this actually plays in hand with, with Carson. And just from a general standpoint for the offense, I think that there's opportunity over the middle uh, and just over uh, against Philly's linebackers in general. Um, I, we mentioned, you know, this they do send the, the pressures on uh Third down, Philly Philly defense does, but you know they they are primarily zoned throughout throughout the most part of a game, and uh, I did see a lot of, or primarily, I'm not going to say a lot. I, I did see primarily quarters defense from these guys, but if you have an opportunity to to, to expose the linebackers in terms of isolating them uh, to your your tight receiver or your tight tight end, like the or the this the flex tight end or whatever, you, you're probably going to have an opportunity to challenge. Uh, I forgot the I forgot the guy, um, the the linebacker that I was really focused focused in on. Um, I think fifty seven is his name uh, is his number. Uh, but overall, T J. Yeah, T J. T J. Um, uh, I think it is T J. White or T J. Something. I can't remember his name. Yeah, T J. T J. Something. If you all matter of fact, what's it? T J. Edwards, fifty seven. T J. Edwards. Yeah, yeah. So if you have an opportunity against these linebackers to really uh hit them, hit behind them, or or maybe expose them through uh forcing them to cover in space, whether it's giving your, your receiver, your tight end, an option route or something like that. If you have that opportunity, or maybe when they do send those uh, cover zeros or cover one uh, blitzes anyway, and, and you have a linebacker matched up against some of your skilled guys, if you can take advantage of their linebackers, I think that can help Washington uh, in, in critical situations if you can scheme that scheme that up for your offense. Uh, so that's my number two key is, is find a way to challenge their linebackers and don't stop challenging their linebackers throughout this game. I, I agree that you gotta um you gotta get after those linebackers and, and try to find those matchups and, and and you know that we've not we've not seen them uh, we've not seen Washington really go after our, our, their tight end so far because they're kind of easing Logan Thomas in. But even in that first game when they were still easing Logan Thomas back into the game, he still had three like catches on third down in critical situations. So uh, I think this could be a game for Logan Thomas to to really excel. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen Scott Turner's done a really good job of moving guys around and, and getting Terry McLaurin in the slot and Jahan Dotson in the slot and Curtis Samuel in the slot. And if you, if you use those empty sets that he likes to use, you can move guys around and, and generate matchups that even though the Eagles are in zone coverages, um, and, and you're right, they do like to play a lot of quarters coverage or quite a bit of uh, quarter, quarter, half and, and, and those kind of coverages. Um, that's what they kind of like to live in on, on first and second down. And, and then they switch it up on third down. And, and that's when you see the cover zeros and the, the man coverage cover ones and, and that kind of thing. But if you can, if you can attack on first and second down when they're living in their, their zone coverages, you can use those empty sets that Scott Turner likes to do. Uh, and, and you can get Terry McLaurin matched up on a linebacker, or you can get Carter Samuel on a linebacker and, and, and you can really uh, attack those mismatches and, and, and try to pick up some some big explosive plays by simple passes underneath, where you know Terry McLaurin's going to beat a, a linebacker on a on a quick five yard slant and and let him go work after the catch. Um, so yeah, I agree. That's a that's a good point. Number three, Mark. What is your number three key for Washington? Uh, well, my number three key is I I I think they need to keep the explosive plays coming um, because we've seen in both games that the offense has the ability to be really explosive and they, they can hit deep shots down the field at any given point uh, with, with Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, they have a ton of speed. 
they've got really good weapons at tight end and at running back, uh, and they can and and Wentz can stretch the ball to all parts of the field. Um, but we've seen in both games they've gone through big lulls. It, it, obviously, in in the first game against the Jags, it was that second quarter into the third quarter. Um, and, and obviously in the Lions game last week, it was that first half they, they struggled. So we've only seen, in both games, we've seen two good quarters and two bad quarters from them. And if they're going to be that inconsistent and, and with Carson Wentz at quarterback, that they, they might well continue to be inconsistent. Um, I think they're going to need those explosive plays to kind of sustain the offense because they've not proven thus far that they can continuously build sustained drives over the course of three or four quarters, they, they, they need those big spark plays. So um, as, as we talked about being able to attack those, those zone coverages on first and second down um, and Mikey in the second point, which was being able to protect Wentz when, when you get those blitzes, those blitzes can offer, offer a lot of opportunities to attack and, and, and create plays after the catch. Um, so if, if you're able to, do those things and protect and, and, and you're able to attack those on coverages. You're, you're looking to create those explosive plays, the, the big 30, 40, 50 yard receptions and, and, and eat up big chunks of the field to, to get yourself in scoring position. And, and uh, that I think is the more sustainable form of offense for Washington right now. And once again, coincide, we kind of go hand in hand with this one, man. My first one or my, my third key for Washington is, is scoring quickly. Uh, and and obviously making sure that you're in the game, uh, at least to start it off. And, and obviously you you covered the the quarter two to to cover to quarter four. Uh, sometimes lapses with with Washington's offense, but obviously their their big play potential. But for me, it's, it's scored quickly. Um, I heard a stat uh, earlier in which you know Washington of of 35 Ron Rivera games. I'm I think uh, throughout the regular season, uh, 18 of those 35. Washington has been down double digits at halftime. Um, and, and then in 23 of those 35 games, Washington has been down after the first score of the game. Uh, so I, I think that for, for Washington, if you if you want to have a shot against Philly, obviously uh, scoring is going to be critical. But if you can score quick and, and put the pressure on Philly where you can try to force them to, to think about, all right, let's go ahead and pass it. Um, and, and take advantage of some of those opportunities and, and like, all right, let's let's try to stray away from the run or, or distract them from the fact that they're really good at running the football. Uh, you have an opportunity there for Washington because, again, you're going up against a really good team. And uh, this is a guy or I say a guy, but this is a team where you're, you're really looking at where, where people consider them potential NFC favorites to come out to come out out of the, the division and also the NFC. So you have to find a way to, to, to put the advantage and the momentum in your on your side really quickly. And it comes with uh, scoring quick for me, Mark. Yeah, I agree. And I think our points go hand in hand. You, you need to score quickly. And if you can create those explosive plays that let you score quickly, then you can get ahead of the game and, and that can, as you say, disrupt what the Eagles try to do on offense, which is run the ball and establish the run and then build their offense from that. And if you can get out in front and, and you can, you know, get a 50-yard a touchdown in the first quarter, and obviously that's a big ask, but if you can have that kind of an explosive play and and suddenly you're in the lead and suddenly the Eagles are on the back foot and they're thinking, okay, well, we got to play catch up and uh, so we can't run the ball quite so much and and that makes their offense a little bit less dynamic and, and more one-dimensional. So um, that takes a lot of pressure off the defense. So, um, and yeah, if you're scoring quickly, that the defense is feeling confident. If you're hitting those explosive plays, as I as I talked about, you're the defense is feeling confident that, hey, we just need to get a stop here. We just need to get one or two stops, and on our offense is it's gonna is gonna take care of business. So. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I think um, those explosive plays that I talked about and, and scoring quickly um, is uh, it's a big key. Yeah, now I did speak about passing the football for Philly as if Washington doesn't struggle to, to really <laughs> stop the pass. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a fingers crossed and, and pray and pray we're talking about Washington doing a good job against uh, Jayla Hurts and Philadelphia Eagles passing <laughs> offense. Uh, Mark, I appreciate you joining. I, I want to give you the floor. Who wins and why? Uh, and, and, and obviously, uh, the, 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 the hope is Washington comes out of this two and one, but what's your opinion? Yeah, for me, I, I think the defense has just had too many struggles, um, to start the season. And I think there's too much for them to just fix over one week. And so I, I think the Eagles run game is really tough to defend. And I think that 
will probably end up taking over, and I, I think the Eagles probably edge this one. Um, obviously, there is the wild card of this offense we've seen from Washington so far has been able to be really explosive, and if they put more than two quarters of that together, then they they can hang with anyone. Um, but I, I'm yet to fully buy into Carson Wentz's ability to sustain this offense for four quarters. So uh, I, I think the defense has struggled too much for me to pick Washington in this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the same boat with you in terms of Carson Wentz. And, and I'm I'm not surprised that you said that, but I'm, I'm happy that you did because um, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one who, who really – and I'm not I don't want to make this like a criticism thing with Carson, but I, I just think that sometimes, you know, we, we understand that he's playing well for the most part. But uh, sustainability, uh, we, we don't know to, to what degree he can really do that yet. And and I'm, I'm not certain based on the first two games that, you know, we may see. I'm just nervous about the missed opportunities. Obviously, it happens with every offense, but that's kind of where I'm at with, with Carson Wentz. Is like, are, are we going to see the, the games in which he's able to take advantage of it uh, throughout a game and not necessarily uh, when you're trailing and, and trying to fight back to claw back into it uh, in, in that instance? For, so for me, I don't think Washington would, would, will be able to beat Philly. I think the defense is too much of, a, too much of an issue. Uh, I do see a close game. Um, but, but I don't know how that close happens. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's a backdoor cover for those who gamble. I don't know if it's something where you're, you're, you're making it look respectable at the end of a game or, or if they're actually trading haymakers and fighting back and forth in a good game. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how it happens, but I do see Washington losing this game. And, um, and, and I also won't be surprised, to be honest with you all, everybody that's listening, I won't be surprised if, if Washington uh, ends up losing by double digits. Like, that's how bad sometimes it can get with that defense right right now. Um, and you're hoping that things get fixed. But when you're going up against a rush offense as good and as consistent as the Philadelphia Eagles offense from from their line play to to how uh, Jalen Hurts is able to manipulate defenses and, and take advantage of, you know, their, their missed assignments. Um, it's just hard to say that Washington, knowing what we've known over the past couple of years and obviously how these first two games started, that they'll be able to overcome it against one of the league's best rush offenses in the NFL. So for me, unfortunately, Washington goes to one and two. Uh, but I'm not going to, unless it looks terrible, I'm not going to sit here and, and overanalyze uh, just how bad it can get against Philly when I, I'm already aware that Philly, and I'm not conceding, but I, I'm, I'm aware of how good Philly is against the run. So, uh, Mark, I appreciate you joining me. I want to give you the floor. I mean, I do it all the time, and everybody who follows you or listens to us know where they can find you. But again, in case people don't know who Mark Bullock is, where can they find you? Where can they read your work? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, I'm at MarkGullickNFL, um, and then my Substack page where I do all my breakdowns and, and stuff is um, uh, MarkGullick.Substack.com, uh, and, and you can subscribe on there and, and, and get um, three or four weekly breakdowns of, of what's happened and what's gone well and what's gone badly with, with each Washington game.